So we've transitioned um, in our study from the book of 1 John, and now we're looking at a more topical study entitled The Church. And um, we're going to spend several weeks in just unpacking what the church is, what its purpose is, what its foundations are. And, uh, and then our prayer is over the next several months that we'll be able to begin to see some of the um, fruits of our study and be able to identify people's gifts within the church body and start to um, lock you in to a, a, a role in which you can serve in the church. Um, the church is not a place uh, where we come to be spectators, but we come to be participants. And uh, we are, we're here to work together to accomplish God's purpose in this world, to represent Him and His kingdom, to preach His message, His gospel to those around us, and um, to glorify Him and honor Him in, the, in, in, a, in a very dark world. And that's why God has planted us here. And it's not something that we can do as individuals, but it's necessary that we do it as a group. And that is the whole purpose of the church is that God has brought people together who are very different in every way, and yet we represent the glory of Christ because the glory of Christ surpasses our differences. Does that make sense? Christ's greatness and Christ's significance and Christ's supremacy is greatest displayed when he is exalted above our differences. So if God, as God brings us together in all of our different ways, um, our different ways of thinking, our different directions of life, our different careers, our different uh, races and sexes, and all of these differences that we have, yet Christ stands superior and supreme above all of these things that we can come together on Sunday morning, sometimes on Sunday night, on Wednesday night, and throughout the week for, for small groups, that we can come together and we can see him as being bigger than us. Um, I've often said and thought, and I heard a preacher say <coughs> within the last year, that the church is not about us. And that's such a true statement, and it's such a powerful statement and an important statement. Most people leave churches because they get to a place where it becomes about them, and they don't like what they're getting. I know that there are times and there are... There are um, realistic, serious reasons why we leave churches. But for the most part, people will leave churches when they get to a place where they don't feel like they're being satisfied. And the church has become about them and not about him. What we want to do is we want to bring it back to where the roots are. We want to bring it back to its source, to what really is significant in the church, what really matters in the church. And that is that Christ Jesus is being exalted that he is being lifted up. And as he is lifted up, the Bible says, if I be lifted up, I will do what? I will draw all men to myself. So, so as Christ is being lifted up and Christ is being exalted, the Holy Spirit is then doing this extraordinary work amongst believers. If you want to see the Holy Spirit active in your life, all you have to do is lift up Christ. Because that is what motivates and excites the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you. So we looked at last week, we looked at the beginning or the first time the church is mentioned in the New Testament, which is in Matthew chapter number 16. And we learned several things about the church and as it relates to Jesus Christ. 
We learn, number one, that Christ is the owner of the church. It is his body, it is his bride, and it is his household. That's how it's referred to in the New Testament. So it's very important as we look to manage or participate in something that is Christ that we take it very seriously as if we were handling the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, or the household of Christ. All right? Pretty significant, pretty important thing. We learned as well, okay, that the church is not about a building, but the church is about the individuals that are, that are coming together to worship the Lord. Um, matter of fact, there are churches that don't have buildings and they're still, it's still the church because people are there to exalt Christ. He is the owner of the church, number two. He is the builder of the church. He, he enlightens by the Holy Spirit's power. He strengthens and empowers and equips us. He gives us all things necessary for um, the work of the church, or he is all things necessary for the work of the church. Number three, we learn that he is the material that is used to build the church. And we learn, number four, that he is unstoppable. Again, Matthew 16 and verse 18, the Bible says that the Lord will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In other words, there's nothing that can stop a church that is centered on and focused on Christ as the most important thing. A church that is exalting Christ, there's nothing that can stop a church like that. And, and may I submit to you that there's nothing that can stop an individual whose life is focused on Jesus Christ, whose life is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no obstacles. There's no, there's no uh, troubles, difficulties, trials, tribulations, temptations. None of these things can stop a believer who has a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is a good example of that as he walked on the water and the storms were raging around him. He initially, as he focused on Christ, was victorious, right? And then he began to focus on the storm that was going on around him and he began to immediately began to sink in the water. The church is unstoppable as it is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is very stoppable as it is focused on itself or its troubles or its difficulties. So the church ultimately is all about Jesus Christ. We are a group of believers that make up the church. We're the called out assembly. Uh, we've come together to exalt and worship Christ. We've come together to learn about him. We've come together to acknowledge him in every facet of our lives. And that is what makes up the church. But ultimately, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, our, the title of my message is The Foundations of the Church, and we're going to look at three things that are fundamental or foundational to a church being an effective church, to, an, to a church being a powerful church. What, is our, what, is our, what are some ingredients that must be there in order for us to be um, what God wants us to be? And, and we might um, miss the mark on this one and think about me being a great music uh, program or having a great preacher or having a great Sunday school department or uh, having nice facilities. None of these things are essential to having a church that is unstoppable. None of these things are essential to having a, a, a real church. Matter of fact, there are churches out there that are under the power of the Holy Spirit that are moving forward passionately and purposefully who don't have a good pastor, who don't have a good mo mo movie, music, movie program either. 
whichever one you want to go with this morning. We're not that far advanced yet, right? We don't have our own movie, movie program. Who don't have a good uh, pastor music program, don't have a good Sunday school department, don't have nice buildings, but they're moving forward um, as the church of God, and they're doing it in great ways. We've got to understand what the essentials are. What are the foundations? What are some essentials to having a church that is on fire for the Lord, that is moving forward with the Lord, okay? And that's where we come to Acts chapter number two. Acts chapter number two, what we see as the beginning of the New Testament church, okay? And the reason why we see it as the beginning of the New Testament church is because our, we believe that the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Without the Holy Spirit of God, the church is, it cannot do what it, what, it, what it needs to accomplish. And in Acts chapter number two, the Holy Spirit of God falls on the church. It's the, the first time that we see the Holy Spirit falling in great power and, and then in dwelling as he promises the disciples in um, John 14 through 16 about the Holy Spirit coming. He tells them that the Holy Spirit who is with you is now going to be in you. All right, and then you go to 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? In other words, the, the Holy Spirit is indwelling inside of us. And at that point, we become, we become the body, we become the church, a, a, a corporately the church. Okay? With this in mind, it's important to understand two things. Number one, is there such a thing as a universal church? And there's also such a thing as a local church. We would be considered a local church because we're assembled locally. And we're all together right now. We're a visible expression of the body of Christ. There is what is known as the universal church. The universal church is something that is unique. It is an invisible truth or reality. Okay? God has given us several invisible truths that he gave us a visible expression of those truths, okay? He tells us that we're the bride of Christ, right? That's an invisible truth. It's a spiritual truth. It's something that is true spiritually about us, but we can't really see it, can we? So what he did is he said, I want you to marry each other then you can see what, it, what it's like to be a bride and to be a husband. I'm going to give you a, a visible expression of husband and wife because I want you to know what it's like to be my bride. The church is the same way. The Bible calls the church the body of Christ. The body of Christ is everyone who believes. Now, once a person is saved in, in Acts 2, the Bible says that 3,000 people were saved and they were added to the church. This means that their names went on a role that's in heaven that we can't see. It's an invisible role for us. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lord knows those who are part of the universal church. But what he said is, is I'm going to give you an expression of that. I'm going to give you a local church. And the local church is the expression of the universal church. And he says in the same way that if you're going to understand marriage to me, you have to see what marriage looks like in a a pure way. If you're going to understand being a member of the universal body of Christ, I'm going to give you a visible expression of it. This is why church membership is so important. We live in a day and age, we live in a culture where people want to be married without being married, don't we? People don't want to have the commitment of being married, but they want all of the benefits of being married. They want to 
act like they're married, right? But not have the commitment of being married. That's not too far-fetched from the way that people function within the church of the Lord either, is it? People want all of the benefits of being a part of the church, but they don't want to have a ring on their finger. They don't want to be considered committed or accountable to that church. You know what happens when you're married to somebody and you go through a trial or tribulation? What's supposed to happen? (laughs) Right? Make sure I clarify that. You work through it, right? You figure out a way to work through it because there's that commitment there. There's that, okay, we, we, we signed on. We've signed on for life. When I, when I stood before the, the pastor, I said, until death do me part. All right? So I signed on. So if I go through trials and tribulations, I'm going to work through it. I'm going to find a way to get through it. Okay? Right? Okay? Everybody in here can say amen to that. Amen. Yep, even those who have been divorced can say amen to that because it doesn't change the biblical pattern that God has laid forth. And we can't let our experiences change what God says is should be happening. There are things that we do in life that are, that are wrong and we struggle and we make mistakes, amen? amen? But it doesn't change the truth. The truth is the truth. We sign on, we are being committed, we should be committed for life, Right? And when we face difficulties and struggles, we work through those difficulties and struggles. When somebody says, you know what, I'm going to go live with this person, and they face a really dark circumstance, what is the likelihood that they're going to work through it? There's no commitment there. The same principle is applicable to the church. What's happening to the church is nobody wants to be committed to the church, but everybody wants the benefits of the church. And then when the church doesn't go the direction that they like or that they want it to go in or the elders do something that, they, that the people don't like or whatever, they don't figure out a way to work through it. They just go somewhere else. This is why God gives us, yes, the universal church. We're all a part of this big universal church, but, but we're all a part of the local body. When Paul writes letters throughout the New Testament, he's not writing to the universal church. He's writing to, these, he's writing to Grace Bible Church of Hollister. When Jesus wrote seven letters in the book of Revelation, he didn't write to the universal church. He wrote to each one of these individual churches. These are a visible expression of the body of Christ. We get to see that expression in our daily lives. Baptism. We believe that when you get saved, you have been baptized spiritually into Christ literally meaning that you are a partaker of the death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's a spiritual truth, isn't it? But it has a physical expression. So that's why we bring the baptism out here. We build it. People come in. We put them under the water. We bring them out of the water. That doesn't save them. What saved them was the spiritual that, that event happening in their heart spiritually when Christ Jesus baptized him into himself. But we have a visible expression of that. So I say all of that to say this. There are a lot of things, spiritual truths, that are all throughout the Bible that God has given us physical expressions of those truths so that we can see them and know them. The church has, has that being true as well, the universal church and the local church. 
Let me give you a few thoughts very quickly as we move on. The universal church is invisible. The universal church is spiritual. The universal church is everyone who believes or or, um, everyone who is saved becomes a part of the universal church, becomes a part of the church as God sees it, everyone across the world. Um, You can go on vacation, right? And you can go to a church in another country and you can connect with people there and you realize right away that we're all part of the same, we're all part of the same body, aren't we? Now, let me ask you this question. Do you have the same connection with them that you have with the people who are sitting right next to you in this auditorium? It's different, isn't it? So while the universal church is very real, very spiritual, and you feel that connection there, there is still some differences between that universal body and this local body. Because we've been through trials, you've been through trials together, you've fought battles together and things like that. The universal church is everyone who believes. It is called in the Bible the body of Christ. It is called in the Bible the bride of Christ. Hebrews 12.23 says, And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And again, this is referring to the universal body of Christ. The second is the local church. The local church is visible. The local church is physical. Okay, the local church is visible and physical. Let me, let me, let me rewind one thought here. We'll go back to 1 John for a moment, okay? The Bible says if you love God, when we love God, is that, is that visible or invisible? Is that a f- spiritual thing or physical? It's very spiritual, right? But he says if we love God, we will also love, we will also love each other, right? Matter of fact, the book of 1 John goes as far as to say if you don't love each other, you don't you don't love God, right? If, if the physical expression isn't true about you, then perhaps the spiritual expression isn't true about you either. Does that make sense? So if somebody says, I'm a, I'm a member of the body of Christ, but I refuse to be a member of the local body of Christ, all right? There might be a problem with their being a member of the body of Christ at all. Now, I, I understand that there are people who are not members of a local church, and, they, and people have their reasons for it. I, I struggle when people have an animosity towards being a member of the local church. I struggle with that. Because if I am committed to the universal body, if I am quote unquote a member of it, I should have no problem at all being identified with that. It's like the guy who tells the girl, right? I love you so much and I, I would love to marry you, but I'm not going to marry you. Right? Okay? What that girl, if she's in her right mind, will say is, that guy doesn't love me. There's something, there's a disconnect there. He's not willing to do the visible expression of marriage, but he says all the right words. The church is, the church is getting to that place, and we have to be very, very careful. The local church is visible, it's physical, and it is an expression of being a member of the, of the universal church. It doesn't make you, no more than wearing a ring makes you married, does being a member of a local church make you a part of the universal church. But being married should make you wear a, and I'm not wearing a ring this morning, so I'm guilty, but 
<laughs> I have a very good reason for that. We will talk about that later. <laughs> the wearing the ring doesn't make you married, right? But when you get married, you wear a... Unless you have an allergy to it. I was able to cover that right off the bat. Okay. So, being a part of the body of Christ local doesn't make you a part of the body of Christ uh, spiritual, right? But being a part of the body of Christ spiritual makes you desire to be a part of the body of Christ local. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an expression of that. So we should want that. Um, it's all assembled believers, Okay, this is where the assembly comes in. This is where we come together and we worship the Lord together. When you, see, when you see the church epistles, you see the local church. The church at Corinth, the church at Philippi, the church at Galatia, the church at Thessalonica. These are churches that were in these towns that were local New Testament churches. Again, the seven churches that the Lord writes about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, local churches that were written specifically to those churches about specific needs within those churches. Okay? The church at Corinth, specific needs within that church. If, if the Lord or Paul were to write us a letter today, he would write about specific needs within our church. Now, we know that all of the letters that he did write are yes to local churches, but they also apply to all of us because we all have similar struggles, right? And then also, Paul uses the plural form of the Greek word ekklesia throughout the New Testament describing churches. So if he's just talking about the church universal, he would never use the plural term churches to describe it because there would be no such thing as churches. It would just be church, right? He talks about churches that were in homes. He talks about churches that were in locations. And each, each time he is referring to the fact that these churches are local churches. They're, they're like what we have here, assembly of people coming together. The, universe, the universal church is super important, but the local church is also equally important. And the local church is an expression of your, of your membership in the universal church. As much as I could say to you, I love God, but hate my brother, I should be able to say to you, I'm a member of the universal church, but won't be a member of the local church. It's the same connection. I love God, and therefore I love my brother. I'm a member of the universal church, and therefore I'm a member of the local church. Does that make sense? Okay. So this is just an, it's just an expression. It's an expression of a spiritual truth that's true about us on the inside that comes forth in... Um, in, in a visible way in this church body here. And um, the Lord honors that. Three things that are key ingredients or elements to the, to the local church, to the, to the church in, in, in being able to function effectively for the Lord. And we want to remember that it's the Lord's church, not our church. It's his building. It's his work. It's everything. It's, it's all about him. So these are three things that we're, I'm going to give you out of Acts chapter number two that are essential to us functioning properly uh, for his glory and building up his church. With that being said, I want you to go back in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, where we were at last week in Matthew chapter number 16.
So here's what Matthew, here's what Jesus says in Matthew. In verse 16, and he said to them, but you, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Okay, and remember this, Peter means little stone, piece of a stone, okay, small pebble. And just three verses or a few verses before this, Peter says, you are the Christ, which means the Messiah, the chosen one, the son of the living God. The reason that's important is because in the next phrase, he's going to say, upon this rock, I will build my church. And there's many who think that he's talking about Peter being the one on whom the church is built. Peter is not the rock on which the church is built. Jesus Christ is the rock on which the church is built. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the only foundation, according to 1 Corinthians 3, that anything significant can be built on. So Peter is not the foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation of the church. And not just Jesus as a person, but but faith in Jesus is the foundation of the church. Peter's words that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, that's the foundation of the church. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he goes on in the next verse, and he gives us some elements. He gives us the key. The beginning is he gives us the key to the kingdom. He gives the church the key to the kingdom. He says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is a very significant phrase. We talked a little bit about it last week. He mentions it in Matthew 18 as well, where he talks about if a brother offends another brother, you take him to the church and you deal with them. And then the very next verse says what the same exact thing. What you bind in on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What I want to focus on initially is that phrase, I gives you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you'll go with me to the book of John, Chapter number 20, John chapter number 20, the Bible says in verse number 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and his disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. This is after his resurrection, and he's proving to them, he's giving evidence to him, to them of his resurrection and the importance and the significance of his resurrection. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then our faith is futile. Our faith is 
is basically it says that we are of all men most miserable or most to be pitied because we believe the foundation of our faith is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that we have hope to also rise from the dead one day and be with the heavenly father forever. Amen? That is our hope. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then our hope in his resurrection makes us miserable people. And watch what he says. Same, same terminology here. He changes one thing. He says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, we go back to Matthew. What does he tell them? I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In John chapter number 20, he says, I am giving you the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It's the same exact terminology that's used in the book of Matthew, but what he is saying that's different is, here's the keys to the kingdom in Matthew 16, and in John chapter number 20, he says, here's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential to the church. It is essential to the functioning of the church. It is the the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It is how people get into heaven is by the power of the Holy Spirit, his his life-giving power. When Jesus says in John 14 through 16, he says, I'm going to go away, right? And he says to them, it is better for you that I go away. And the disciples were totally confused by that statement. How can it be better for us that you go away? And the answer is this, because I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, The Holy Spirit is going to be sent, and you are now going to have access to the kingdom as well. You see, it wasn't, yes, the death of Jesus Christ paid fully for our sins, but his resurrection and the sending of his Holy Spirit to live within us was also essential for our salvation. We can enter into God's kingdom, we can enter into God's presence based upon a favor and kindness and grace towards us because we have been made righteous and made perfect because we have been gifted through the indwelling spirit, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Without that, we cannot enter into his presence. So Jesus says to them, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. I'm going to give you that which will get you into the kingdom. And what is he going to give them? He's going to give them the Holy Spirit. So what is essential for the church? What it was foundational, Acts chapter number two, when the church begins, when the church starts, what does he give them? What does he pour out on them? What is the whole book of Acts about? His spirit coming on his people, his spirit coming into his people. And he doesn't just let the spirit of God come into them. He causes them to perform many signs and and wonders to, to express a visible expression that the Holy Spirit of God had come to live within them. He gave them his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is essential for us to be saved. It's essential in conversion. John 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter, no, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
If we're going to see people saved at Grace Bible Church of Hollister, what do we need? We need the Spirit of God to be actively working. We need God's Spirit to be moving amongst us if we're going to see people saved. Is the church not established so that people could be saved? Charles Spurgeon said this, and I'm going to I'm going to misquote him just so that you know right away. I'm going to try to paraphrase him the best as I possibly can. But he said, a church where people are not being saved is not the church. Where the Spirit of God is active, where the Spirit of God is moving, people should be getting saved. And it's not just in this room where people are sitting on Sunday mornings, but it is in our daily life as the Spirit of God moves in our lives and moves through our lives that people start getting saved. Our God is a saving God. He is active in saving souls. But he says, unless we have the Holy Spirit of God, unless God's Spirit lives within us, we we cannot even see the kingdom of God much less believe in it and understand it and comprehend it. We need the Spirit. Verse 5 and 6 of John 3, And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then in verse 8 of the same chapter, he says, the spirit or the wind blows where it wants to. You hear the sounds of it and you see the effects of it, but you cannot control it, nor can you say why it blew. When the spirit of God moves, we can't say why it moved. We don't understand why it moves, but when it moves, you see it. We see God's moving amongst us. We see it today in in, in other countries. We see revivals. I don't believe so much in America, but listen, I don't think it's impossible for God to move again amongst us. God's movement might begin in a church like this. It might begin in one of your homes. It might begin in one of your lives. But we need the Holy Spirit, not just indwelling us, but we need the Holy Spirit empowering us. We need his presence to be moving through us so that we're not just living in this selfish ambition of of this great power within us, but we're blessing other people with that power. The Holy Spirit is necessary. It is the, if you're taking notes, it is the means. The Holy Spirit is the means by which the church functions. It is the keys to the kingdom. Holy Spirit and conversion. The Holy Spirit and commissioning. What did Jesus tell his disciples when he got ready to commission them out, right? Matthew 28, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you, for lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? But then he tells them this, not in this same text, but in another text, he tells them what? Stay where you are until you receive the, until you receive the Holy Spirit, In other words, disciples, you're not going to be able to accomplish what I've called you to accomplish until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when he commissions them out, he understands that their their commissioning is built around and based upon the power of God's Spirit within them. And the church is commissioning. Listen, we've been commissioned to Hollister, California. One year ago, almost to the month, we were commissioned. My family was commissioned to Hollister, California. We need God's spirit to work through us to accomplish what God has for us in Hollister, California. 
In this church, we need God's spirit to accomplish. We can go out and we can pass out all the tracts that we've got in the back there. We can share the gospel with people. But if we don't have God's spirit, it will be fruitless work. When God's spirit commissioned, he says in Acts 1 and 8, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's spirit is necessary for conversion. God's spirit is necessary for commissioning. And God's spirit is necessary for our capabilities. Galatians chapter number 5, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, Romans chapter number 12. Who enables us to do the things that God calls us to do? They're called the gifts of the Spirit. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. We cannot accomplish what God has, has called us to accomplish unless we have His Spirit, not just indwelling us, folks, but empowering us to do what He has called us to do. That His Spirit is working through us into the life of other people. That through God's Spirit in you, He impacts other people. It's hard to understand or comprehend, isn't it? They may never have any association with the Spirit of God except for you. Matter of fact, the Bible says in, in Acts or in Hebrews chapter number six that there are people who taste the goodness of God's Spirit but are not saved. And what he's talking about there is that they taste it because they're around it. It's us. We are the ones who manifest that to other people. So what is the means by the church? What is essential, an essential means to the church's functioning? Is it a good music program? Is it a good preacher? Is it a good Sunday school department? Is it a nice building? No, it's essential that we have God's spirit moving amongst us freely. The spirit is important. Number two, the message you look at Acts chapter number two, what we just read. What did Peter start the church with? What did Peter start the church with? It was the gospel. He preached the gospel. And 3,000 people were saved because Peter preached the gospel. We need the gospel. We need the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ came into this world 2,000 years ago, that he was the son of God, he was God the son, he came willingly, he was born of a virgin, he did not have a sinful nature, he lived a perfect life of 33 years, he ministered the last three years of his life, he hung on a cross dying, not for his own sins, but for my sins and for your sins. He then was in the grave for three days and three nights, and then he rose again by his own power. And he says to us, I can give you that same experience. That's the gospel. Listen, that's the foundation of everything that we do here. That's what brings salvation. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel is necessary to living life for the Lord. The gospel is necessary for everything that the church does. We need people to be focused on the gospel. The Bible tells us, 1 Timothy 3 and verse 15, if I delay that you may know how one ought to behave himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
We're that, we're that organization or organism that holds up the gospel. We, it doesn't need our help, but we get to hold it up. We get to exalt it. We get to magnify it in the, in the, in the minds and lives of other people. You know, you, know what, you know what made Paul's, all people's gospels are the same, right? Do you know what made Paul's gospel so significant? What made Paul's gospel so significant was the fact of what he was before he heard the gospel. It is Paul's sins and Paul's failures and the maximizing of his sins and the maximizing of his... You don't ever hear Paul talking about how great he was before he was saved. He just talks about how horrible he was before he was saved. And you know what that did to the gospel? It really elevated it, didn't it? Where sin did abound... Grace did much more abound. When we preach the gospel, when we exalt the gospel, it is sometimes exalted. I'm going to rephrase that. It is all the time exalted through our humiliation. It is all the time exalted through our brokenness. It is all the time exalted through our failures. It is through our weaknesses that he is made strong. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he can increase, right? Paul said, I will therefore glory in my infirmities that the power might rest on Christ. When I am weak, then he is We're the ones who lift up the truth. We show others what Christ is capable of. We show others what the gospel is capable of. We see in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Acts 1.8, the commission of the church. Go ye into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every single creature. No one that we shouldn't share the gospel with. No one. And then we also learned what is the gospel. And we read it already. Peter said it. Jesus Christ was crucified. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about the gospel as Jesus Christ crucified. He was buried. He rose again the third day. This is the gospel, right? He commissions us to go out and proclaim it. The last thing that is essential this morning is faith. And, and, I, and, I, and I, if you're taking notes, the motivation is the last thing. We need, we need the message. We need the means. We need the motivation. And when I say the motivation, it's just, it's just people that are full of faith. We see it in Acts chapter number two, towards the end, those that glad, gladly received his word, they were baptized, they were added to the church, and they continued daily um, in house to house, breaking bread. They continued doing these things uh, in faith. In other words, they were, they were motivated by, by the Lord. They were motivated for the Lord. And the church, is, the church is, is strong. Yes, the church is strong when the Holy Spirit is moving through it freely. The church is strong when the gospel is exalted and the gospel is preached clearly. And the church is strong when people are full of faith and excitement about the Lord. Can I submit to you that they're all three intertwined? You don't have a church that has the Holy Spirit moving through it, the gospel preached clearly, and people are not excited about what the Lord is doing. You don't have that. 
there's usually something missing back here when we get to here. But you know what? It's not just the Holy Spirit moving freely and the gospel being preached clearly. It is people being transformed by the power of God. That's the church. And then coming together because they're passionate about the Lord. The motivation, the faith that drives the church every single day is a motivation or faith in what Jesus Christ did for us. We have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the Bible says, the love of Christ constrains us. Not only that, but God gives us faith that we begin to hate sin. He talks about delivering us from that crooked generation. We have a hatred for sin. And therefore, we come together because we as a body have a hatred for sin. And then we're also motivated by a love for sinners, a heart for sinners, those who are are lost and without Christ. That's what drives and motivates the church. We are motivated by God. But the church needs to be motivated. We need to be excited again. When Jesus says in his gospels, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate your father, your mother, your brothers, and your sisters, and your own life also, then if you don't do those things, you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is not telling us to go out and hate our mother and our father and our brothers and sisters. Here's what he's telling us, folks. He's saying, your excitement for me Your love for me ought to be so astounding that your love for these people looks like hate. There should be this extreme um, difference between how much we love God and how much we love people. How much we love God is going to determine how much we love people. But our love for God ought to be so significant and so amazing that it makes all other love look small. We need to be excited and motivated about the Lord. And we're a church here, Hollister, California, maybe 120 people here this morning. We need to be excited about the Lord. We need to walk through those doors on Sunday morning as if we're walking through the doors of some amazing event. We say, well, Pastor John, it's not an amazing event. Yes, it is. It is. It is an amazing event. This should make, listen, this is what he says when he's talking about hating father and mother. This should make the 49ers or the Giants or the um, Golden State Warriors, this should, going here should make going there look like hatred. That's, that's, that's the, that is the proper interpretation of what he's saying. Our love for God ought to be so much greater than our love for anything else. That's what makes up the church. The church is not a place full of people who obey a list of rules and regulations because they have to. The church is a, is a congregation or an assembly of people who have an extraordinary relationship with God. And that makes up everything. So what do we need? 
as a church. We need number one, we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. We need number two, we need the gospel. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ to save souls. To accomplish the work that God has called us to do, we need his message. And we need number three, we need to be motivated people. We need to be a people full of faith. What made Pentecost so great was the Holy Spirit moved, the gospel was preached, and people's lives were changed. And that's what makes the church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together this morning. Thank you for your church, for the opportunity that we have to serve here. And um, we pray that you will be just continuing to guide us and direct us to move freely with us and through us. And uh, Lord, that you will be greatly glorified in this, your church. We pray that you would build it, strengthen it, and use it to accomplish your will. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.